0: Uh, get all involved in this text, I wanted to say a couple words about Bibles. So, from time to time, we get questions about Bibles. Like, uh, uh, somebody will say, I'm looking for a new Bible. Uh, they'll, they might ask, what, what Bible do you preach out of? They might want more guidance. They might want more advice. They might just want to have a conversation. So, anyway, a couple things about Bibles. The Bible that uh, we use from the pulpit is an NASB 1995. Okay, so if you're wanting, uh, you know, the 1995 part is an important part of that. If you if you get the 2020, it's different. And the more modern translations and the more updated translations, sometimes they're, um, they're doing things with uh, the pronouns that you've got to be careful of. So that's why we say 1995 NASB. We're not adamant on just one translation of the Bible because there are several good ones. Um, ESV, English Standard Version, is a good version of the Bible uh, to use. Um, the KJV is a good version of the Bible. the the NKJV is a good version of the Bible, the new King James version. Um, of course, when you start talking about Bibles, you, you can, you know, choose your rabbit hole because, you know, the next question is people will say, well, I, I'm getting older. So I need a large print. Don't go by large print. Please, do, do not do that. Go by font size, because a lot of times the Bible will say large print. You'll order a large print Bible, it's the translation you want, it's the color you want, and you get it, and you go, know, it's too small. Well, it's large print to them, it's not large print to you. So look at the font size, and make sure in the description of the Bible that you're ordering that the font size is, and a lot of times they'll have an example page online that you can look at, so, uh, pay attention to that. And then do you want a, do you want a single column? Uh, just one column of text on the page or do you want a double column? Uh, a lot of folks for readability just like one column, like a single column down the page. Um, I was thinking about that the other day. I like a single column, but then I started looking at the Bibles that I have and I was going, well, it's double column, double column, double column. So I ordered a single column. So I could have a single column uh, just down the page and very few references. Sometimes we want lots of references. Sometimes folks want a study Bible, which will not only have references, but will have commentary on the text. Um that's more Bible, you may want less Bible. So I typically like less. I, want, I don't want notes, I don't want anything else. I just want text in front of me. But I know if I come across something, I can just reach my hand up and pull a book, and then I can read about the text and get some answers. Study Bibles are good. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to, and then do you, wanna, do you want a bonded leather? that will fall apart in a couple of years if you use it or do you want a premium bible? I mean you can, you can do whatever. You want calf skin, you want goat skin, you want purple, you want you know, I mean it's all out there. So um, so if you if you want an NASB 95, uh you can go online to the Lockman Foundation and you can look at their bibles. But they're going to offer 2020s Get 1995. They do have those. Uh, EvangelicalBible.com is a good place to go. They have a pretty wide range of Bibles. Another translation that's not as popular, but it's a good solid translation, is the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, so, anyway, I like to have several different translations around. So, there you go. <laughs> if you have any more questions and want to talk, I'd love to sit down. I like to talk about Bibles, so anyway, where were we? Oh, acts 10 <laughs> there we there we are, in the Bible, yeah, <laughs> the main thing is get the Bible and use it. Read it. <laughs> Mark it up if you if you want. <laughs> So anyway, then all of you, those of you that who uh, you know, dedicated your life to reading through the Bible this year, you're you're in the last stages of that. We're in November. You got a couple months, and that's uh, that's really that's really good. That's a good uh, good discipline uh, to be in. All right, we are with Cornelius' vision, and we're just, uh, okay, the section that we're in is Acts 10 through Acts eleven eighteen. 18, that's the whole section of the, uh, uh, the story here with Cornelius and the aftermath of the Gentiles hearing the good news. Luke's importance... Okay, the importance the author puts on this uh, particular event is huge. It occurs just about in the middle of the book of Acts, which me and Luke, uh, he, he talks about the development and then it's retold again. And so Luke obviously says, this is a big deal, pay attention Uh, to Cornelius and to the work of the Lord here uh, among the Gentiles. So what I'd like to do, it it is a lengthy text. I think what we'll do is read 23 verses, and then we'll barely get through the first eight verses. But I think just to keep the story simmering in our hearts. Let's go and read the the 23 verses here. So Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers And alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants, And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. For I have sent them myself. Peter went down, To the men, and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you. To come to his house and hear a message from you, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. Verse one. Who is this? Uh, who is this Cornelius? So there's some interesting things here uh, that we want to uh, we want to pay attention to. The Bible says there was a man, so this is a specific person living in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea evidently is a Gentile city. Um, it's north of Joppa, about 31 miles. And we have this centurion, Cornelius. By the way, Cornelius was a very common name And this Cornelius is a centurion. He is in the Roman army. A centurion would have been over 100 100 men. So he is part, Luke tells us, of what was called the Italian cohort. Now, they say there were, I think, six cohorts in a legion. A legion was 6,000 men. So uh, Cornelius, this centurion, has authority over a hundred soldiers. Um, he is noted uh, for four things here in this the first eight verses. Let's look at uh, the description, Luke's description of Cornelius. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that Uh, Some details are given about this man and that in light of what God was doing among the Gentiles and how he was beginning this mission among the Gentiles, uh, not that it hadn't already begun because we've already read that an Ethiopian had been converted. But this is the mission to the Gentiles that was confirmed with the apostolic Authority. And that was important. So that's at least one reason that Luke makes a huge deal of this is that you have the Apostle Peter's involvement in the conversion of Cornelius and his house. So, verse 2. Luke tells us that Cornelius is a devout man. Um, The word there for devout is rare. Hardly ever see it in the New Testament. And it's used in this text twice. It's used in verse 2. And then if you go down to verse 7, it's used there, I believe, as a descriptive term of one of Cornelius's attendants, one of his fellow soldiers. So he's a devout man. And then Luke tells us secondly, that he is one who feared God. And that's really unusual for a Roman soldier to be what is called or known as a God-fearer. So what did that mean? What does it mean that uh, someone is a God-fearer? Because there are several times here in the book of Acts, and then in other parts, I think even in Revelation 14, we have the term God-fearer. We have it here in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 10, verse 22, and then... uh, Chapter 13, verse 16 and verse 26, the term God-fearer. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Cornelius believed in one God. That was really unusual for a Gentile, especially a Roman Gentile, who would be immersed in that Roman culture and their Roman way of thinking that, yeah, you know, the, the emperor is worshipped, and then their whole pantheon of gods are incorporated into their lifestyle. And here you have a man who is not insignificant. He's got social status, but he says, I believe in one God. He's drawn to the Jewish monotheistic mentality or worldview. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, that's really something. And God took notice of him as a God-fearer. Now, was he, was he a, what we would call someone a proselyte into the Jewish religion, into Judaism? No. Uh, he, he may or may not be acquainted with the synagogue and synagogue worship, but he's, he stops short. He cannot be involved in sacrifices the Jewish sacrificial system, um, and the barrier is the barrier is circumcision. He's not. He, that's where he stops. But he is a God fearer, but he's not a a proselyte into the Jewish religion. That's about as much as I can say on that right now. Is probably. All or what we need to know at this point. Uh, but he, he was a God-fearer. He did believe in one God. And the Bible says that he led his household in this. That's impressive. That's impressive. It's one thing to be a God-fearer. It's another thing to lead your household in this. And he's, that's a great example of a man who's leading his household to fear the one God the one true God. The Bible also tells us, thirdly, that he gave many alms to the people. Now, in my Bible, Jewish people, the word Jewish is uh, put in there and it's italicized, meaning it's not in the original text, but the translators are saying he's referring to Jewish people. So he gave many alms to the Jewish people. Um, this is something that catches uh, God's eye. You, you read read through. Don't just segment or categorize Acts and keep it by itself, but incorporate Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, into the whole thing because Luke will talk about almsgiving in his gospel, and then he brings it on into Acts. Um, uh, You know, Peter and John, silver and gold, have we none? But Luke brings up this whole thing of giving alms. Now, this man gives alms. The Bible says he gave many alms to the Jewish people. So he's a generous man. He's devout. He fears God. He is generous. And then, lastly, the Bible says he prayed to God continually. Think about that. This is not unusual for Luke to make a big deal out of prayer. So what does God notice? I mean, think about God is about ready to uh, bless the Gentiles with his presence in a manifest way and an ongoing way. And he's going to begin with the house of Cornelius. I mean, are we just are we to read this and think, well, it just it was coincidental that. He was uh, devout and a God-fearer and generous. And he prayed continually. Don't think that. Don't think it's just coincidental. And then and then, let's take it one more step. Luke's really good about this. Anytime there's continual prayer, anytime there's a dedication to prayer. And when I, when I saw this, it just, I was... Uh, I was smitten and in my heart and um, and forced to think differently than I've been thinking. I don't have a problem with thinking differently in this regard. Oh, yeah, what is it? Luke always links, he always links prayer with some event taking place. In other words, When you pray and you pray continually and you look to God and you're trusting God, he's going to move. He's going to work. You say, well, I didn't see it then. Well, keep praying continually. Keep praying. Keep going to the Lord. That catches the Lord's eye. What catches the Lord's eye? Praying continually. Giving of alms. Fearing God. Leading your household. Being devout. Those things are important. And that's... What Luke uses to set up this whole encounter uh, with uh, with Cornelius's house. So about the ninth hour of the day. Well, I was gonna I was gonna use go with those references in in Luke and Acts where prayer is offered, event takes place. We can we can hit that. Uh, a little bit later, but let's just say for an example, um, the baptism of Jesus, uh, the temptations of Jesus. You say, "Well, that's Jesus praying." Well, <laughs> I mean, God hears prayers and God answers prayer, and we're adopted into His family. He's not going to turn a deaf ear to us. He's going to hear us, and he's going to he's going to give us what we need in terms of spiritual resources uh to receive whatever answer he wants to to bring but the point is that we when we pray we're asking for God's intervention and let's let's believe he intervenes let's 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 i think what i wanted to say a while ago is sometimes uh i don't anticipate or expect like I probably should. And I think that dulls my discernment of God's movement and activity in a certain thing. That and that's the problem. It's just to walk through life and and then come to the end of your life and say, well, God was all over the place. I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even thank him for it. I didn't No, I don't want I don't want to be that person. I don't think you do either. So it's just a uh, an expectation, an anticipation. And then, and then what is that? What precedes that is what the continual prayer and, and, and going to the Lord, going before him. So many situations, so much need, and God is, he is able. So about the ninth hour, and we're about at the 11th hour, if not at the midnight hour, so to speak. But the ninth hour, which would have been the the 3 p.m. Uh, hour of the Jewish sacrifice. So the sacrificial offerings are being made, but about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. <laughs> I mean, that's, I always chuckle because that's just like Just like God, just, you know, he's he's praying and then God brings an answer, an angel, what have you. We've got to stop. But it's been good uh, to be with you tonight. And uh, we'll be about, let's be about the Father's business these days. Father in heaven.